What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by Mystery Ranch, built for the mission. And if you don't know the origin story about Mystery Ranch, well, Dana Gleason, the OG of Mystery Ranch them itself, well, he went down to uh, South Ops, tied in with a shot crew, and decided to change how wildland firefighters go to work. How did he do that? Well, he just listened to him. Yeah. Hey, what sucks about your packs and how can we make it better? And that's pretty much how we kind of came to the iteration of the pack that's probably on your back, uh, soon to be on your back when you get off the buggy or the engine or the helicopter next. But they make a ton of other load bearing essentials anywhere from fire gear, which is the, probably the best in the game. I mean, best warranty, best built, most comfortable. They got options all the way to like peeling a trophy elk off the side of the hill. They make it all. It's pretty badass. But why do they keep doing this? And why do they keep doing with things like and developing things like the Mystery Ranch Backbone series? You know, simple. They're in business because they give a shit. And they recognize that the wild and fire community deserves to go to work with the best gear that they can carry a load with. Yeah. So if you want to find out more about Mystery Ranch, go over to www.mysteryranch.com. And while you're at it, go check out the Backbone series. And uh, if you happen to be in the market for some professional development, well, Put your name in the hat on the next go around. Now, uh, opportunities for the first half of the year have closed. They closed May 31st. And uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to be opening up a new one uh, here pretty soon. But what that means is that if you put your name in the hat and tell your story and uh, have a compelling one, and if you're chosen, well, boom, there you go. You get a $1,000 professional workforce development grant from Mystery Ranch to help pursue your passions and help advance your career. So like I said, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. Banker Point Podcast is also going to be brought to you by our homies over at Hotshot Brewery. You thought I was going to say Starbucks, didn't you? Nah. Well, Hotshot Brewery, they make the most kick-ass coffee for the most kick-ass cause, and a portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. So if you're in the market for some really good coffee or all the tools of the trade to get your morning started off right, or a whole list of Wildland Firefighter-themed apparel, then look no further than Hotshot Brewery. Yeah, it's awesome. And while you're over there, you can actually get some uh, Anchor Point stuff. Uh, we kind of uh, have a little deal going where uh, you can get some exclusive Anchor Point merch by going over there. Just search for it and you will find it. But once again, go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com and get all the tools of the trade to start your morning off right and all the kick-ass coffee for kick-ass causes that you can ever need. The Anchor Point Podcast would like to give a quick little shout out to our buddy Booze over at the Ass Movement. And what does that stand for? Well, it stands for the Anti-Surface Shitting Movement. Yeah, I don't know if you have a problem pooper on the crew, but I hate that shit and it needs to stop. Good thing our buddy Booze, who is a artist, a photographer, a entrepreneur, a hell of a firefighter. Well, he's got a solution for you. If you want to uh, spread the good word about burying your turds, go over to www.thefirewild.com where you can check out the Ass Movement. And check this out. While you're spreading that poo bearing propaganda, you can get more of it by uh, just entering in the code AnchorPointAS10 at checkout. That way you get 10% off your order site-wide at the ass movement. Yeah. So if you're looking for the finest in poo bearing propaganda, go over to, once again, www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement.
And last but not least, the Anchor Point Podcast is, well, they're not sponsored by, they're not brought to you by, but it is one of those close relationships I have with Bethany over there at the American Wildfire Experience. And uh, yeah, I just want to show her some love for as long as I possibly can because I believe in her cause and I believe in her mission and she's got some rad stuff going on. And if you don't know what the American Wildfire Experience is, well, they house the Smoky Generation. And I know for a fact, a lot of people out there have seen that rolling around. It's pretty freaking awesome. What it is, is basically a digital storytelling platform uh, telling the story of wildland fire. There's quite literally, there's there has to be like over 250 of these stories out there now, but it's preserving the legacy of the uh, folks in the field and the story of wildland fire. And some of these stories even date back to the 1940s. It's pretty freaking bitching. So if you want a little history lesson, or if you want to sign up for the Smoky Generation grant program, if you got a compelling story and you're telling the story of wildland fire through the lens of a camera, a video camera or a still camera through a blog, through some animations. There was this one dude out there who made uh, We Move Mountains with Spoons and it's freaking kick-ass and they're a Smoky Generation grant recipient. Yeah, sky's the limit. Tell the story. It's freaking awesome. Anyways, if you want to find out more, go over to www.wildfireexperience.org and you can check it all out. Once again, www.wildfireexperience.org. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. The views and opinions of this podcast do not reflect the views and opinions of the United States government, the Department of the Interior, the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, the United States Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, National Park Service, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, or any private, municipal, county, or state firefighting organization, any law enforcement agency, any medical provider, or any contractor employed by any federal agency. Ladies, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. Looks like the uh, lower 48 starting to heat up, but uh, yeah, it's still kind of being domineered. At least the news has been domineered by the whole Canadian uh, wildfire catastrophe that's happening. So yeah, and I got my own thoughts about that. But hey, if there's fuel on the ground, eventually it's going to cure. So if it's happening up there, well, it's going to happen down here eventually too. All fuel will dry and we always have no shortage of starts, whether that be human caused or lightning caused. So buckle up. Yeah, cheatgrass out here in Nevada is pretty damn tall, but we'll see what happens. No one has a crystal ball. But anyways, so today on the show, we're going to be tying in with the uh, organizational, the innovation and organizational learning team. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. And I don't know if anybody's been aware of it, but they're developing this thing called the Meta Review. Now, I will say that it's kind of a shitty name for this, but basically what they're doing is they're taking a lessons learned approach by taking an overall approach, like a meta approach to systematically reviewing past events, looking across multiple incidents, and looking for some themes to identify like things that go wrong, all the way down from like your fatality fires, your injuries, how we perceive our culture with financial incentives, like why the hell are we chasing thousand hour overtime seasons? That's a big one. Uh, Some societal norms, some cultural norms. Uh, Yeah, it goes on and on and on. And it's actually pretty cool. Uh, I'm actually pretty pumped to have uh, 
our good buddy over there uh, by the name of Ben Iverson on the show to kind of explain what it's all about. So if you want to get involved, I'll put some uh, links in the show notes. But with that, I would like to introduce my good friend, Ben Iverson with the Forest Service Meta Review. Welcome to the Anchor Point. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anchor Point Podcast. Today on the show, I've got my good friend, Ben Iverson, and he is with the United States Forest Service, and he is performing and putting out all this information that is part of the Meta Review. Now, I don't know if everybody has seen the Meta Review yet, but it is asking some hard questions. Ben, how's it going, man? <laughs> uh, it's going great. Good to be here with you today. Yeah, pleasure to see you. So tell, uh, tell us about yourself. So, uh, I work for a small group within the Forest Service called Innovation and Organizational Learning. And that group is most known for learning reviews for serious accidents, uh, fatality events, chiefs level reviews of bad days. I work in the organizational learning part of that group. And right now I'm, I'm the only one, um, we are a new group. We're just, um, well, we, the meta review was our first project ever. So, uh, we're learning who we are and how we do what we do, uh, every day. And, um, uh, and, and the meta review is the first thing we put out there for folks to check out and see. Nice. What about your fire history? I mean, what do you got uh, under your belt? I understand you've done a lot of fire as well. And that's why you're part of this meta review because you yep. speak the language, so to speak. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a bit of a winding road. Um, uh, most of my career I spent on engines in Northern California on the Modoc National Forest. Um, but I've worked for uh, four of the five federal land management agencies. Uh, I started out in the Park Service, went to Fish and Wildlife for my permanent. Um, and then I worked with the BLM, uh, at NWCG training. So my, my fire career, uh, operationally, uh, engines, um, most recently I've been involved in type three incident management teams, but, uh, for the most part, starting maybe four or five, six years ago, I made a transition over to, uh, training and then ultimately to organizational learning. Nice. It's another thing too. I think that's a uh, really underrated and uh, kind of like not really talked about is like, everybody wants to be ops. Everybody wants to be a ground pounder. Everybody wants to run saw, but there's a wide world of opportunities out there, especially in uh, things like you're doing or finance or, I mean, the sky's really the limit. Yeah. Well, and early on in my career, up until about 2009, I was very operations oriented. Uh, I, I thought that that was my path and uh, uh, did some helitech details. I uh, really enjoyed that. Um, I, I was doing uh, what many of us do. And then uh, a, a bit of a, not a bit of a, a, a very bad day in 2009 really had me thinking differently. And I started to try to learn my way through the problem, uh, understanding human factors like what happened that day and how, how can I learn my way through it? And over the course of that experience, I, I met who would ultimately become uh, a couple of really important mentors in my career that got me thinking about human factors, system safety. Um, I detailed to IOL before it was IOL. 
It was just uh, Jim Savlin and Ivan Pupolity just trying to do what they thought was right. Um, and that's really the evolution of the learning review uh, that took place in conjunction with the uh, FLA evolution as well. Um, through that process, through a series of details, working on uh, uh, Sierra and Saddleback and TWISP, uh, the Forest Service actually sponsored me to go to pursue a master's degree in human factors in Lund University in Sweden. And that whole process really just got me thinking about things very differently. So now on type three teams, I, I go as a safety officer where I try to do it, um, do that role um, uh, pretty differently, uh, I think. Um, yeah, I can only imagine. Inspiring creative thinking. Yeah. Critical. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you care to expand on it I'm not going to pressure you into it, but, uh, as far as the, the incident, the experience in 2009, do you care to expand on that? Yeah. I mean, uh, I've talked about it quite a bit in a couple different places. Um, it's, it's, it's a little different in that I wasn't there when the thing happened. So, uh, Willow hell based rappel accident, uh, was, was, uh, pivotal pivotal for me, for many of us. Uh, Tom Maravich, uh, who fell that day, was a Modoc uh, National Forest apprentice. And uh, it, I, I remember that, that day very well, what we were doing that day. But the next day, the phone rang. And it was uh, a good friend, my boss, uh, who said, uh, hey, I need you to do something. And I said, anything. And uh, he's like, well, be careful what you say. Uh, and he explained what the need was. Um, and uh, ultimately, it, it fell to, to me and a, a Alaska National Forest employee to gather up all of Tom's belongings and return them to his parents. Um, and that was back in the day when we were still learning our way through how to handle those kinds of events. And, um, at the time there was, there were really only two, two individuals down there, uh, uh, Bob Bell and, um, uh, a family liaison that was assigned by the Modoc and they were trying to do the best that they could do. But as we've learned over the years, taking somebody home, um, that is a, It's okay. It's an event. It's a, it's a thing. I, I don't even know how to describe it, but ultimately um, me and, and Seth, the other guy, we kind of looked at each other and, and, and like, we're not leaving. We're, we're staying. And so spending that time, bringing Tom home, um, being around his, his parents. Um, I, I wasn't Tom's captain. Uh, I, I, I knew him, uh, we rolled together to Southern California on an assignment, that kind of thing. But it, um, it, it was one of those, um, being, being that immersed in the aftermath made that, that, that incident, um, incredibly personal, uh, seeing, seeing the effect of, uh, on, on Tom's parents was just something we'll never forget. And, and coming out of that day, 
I, I really feared what the serious accident investigation would say. Uh, we'd gotten pretty used to um, 30 mile Kramer. Uh, those, those things. And I knew that well, I didn't know. I, I, I made a bunch of assumptions as to what the report would say. And um, what I found was something very different. Um, uh, the human factors analysis of that accident written by Jim Saveland and Ivan um, was, uh, it was so completely different than anything I'd ever seen before. And that led to to a phone call, to an interaction, to um, several meetings. Ultimately, a uh, <laughs> I, I asked Ivan, "How could I learn more?" And his answer was, "Well, um, interested in the detail." So I, I went down, took a human performance class with him and Todd Conklin out of um, Los Alamos National Labs. That was my indoctrination into human performance. And over the course of that next year and the years since, it's um, it 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 well. I like to think it it helped me learn my way through that bad day. Kind of put some more uh, understanding in, into the uh, whole process of everything that went down. And this is, as you said, two thousand nine. This is well before like modern implementation of like SISM and critical incident response and all that stuff. And then serious accident investigations. I mean, that's. That's no joke. It feels like an interrogation at times. And then back in those days when schisms were going down, like we we're just trying to figure it out. They also felt like an investigation. Yep. There's been such an evolution in both over the years. And it's quite frankly, I think it's a story that's yet to be told. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. What we did then compared to what we do now. And that's not to say we have it figured out. We still have tons of learning to do. Uh, I believe that, but, uh, it's, it's a heck of a lot better. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, asking how you're doing with this, uh, later down the road. I mean, I mean, did you have the opportunity to like seek help? I mean, did you have the opportunity to seek like therapy Any any talk to anybody or was it still like kind of before the more widespread acceptance of that? Uh, <laughs> it, it was an interesting part of the evolution to, uh, I I remember well, and it connects to the meta review in that I hate being a hypocrite. So I would say to my crew, you know, like, hey, if you guys need to talk to somebody, we'll make it happen. And I was advocating for it pretty actively, all the while, zero intention to do it myself. So ultimately, it was a put up or shut up kind of moment, and so. Uh, called EAP, got set up. Of course, every horror story that you've heard happened. Um, I walked into my my first visit and there was the little table in the corner, the kids' table with the dolls the, where the, the, the child psychologists worked through uh, horrible days with kids. Mm-hmm. And she had great intentions, but no idea what what's uh, well much of what we talk about today you know first responder trauma uh, ptsd all that kind of stuff um and thankfully she acknowledged that and she said look i'll i'll do my best 
I'll, 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 I'll do my research. I'll, I'll, we'll engage, or I can refer you to somebody else. And ultimately I, I did my five visits with her and, um, but it wasn't the thing. It, it was really the subsequent years working with Ivan and Jim, uh, teaching that accident in in the human performance improvement course we were teaching at human performance optimization at the academy uh being able to really fulfill the promise of um making sure that tom's mom knows that his 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 story his the learning about it um would last would last that that he wouldn't be forgotten so it was taking that action that really had the the greatest impact um, for me. It was kind of like a healing process in your own way, just the understanding of it and kind of yeah. like, I guess some sense of closure to that as well. I can, I can relate to that with some of my experiences out in the field. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here, yeah. but is that what I'm kind of getting? Yeah. That's what you're kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Out. Okay. And that's, that's a really interesting and kind of, Said the cool thing about this is as we talk to people that get involved in this work, almost all of them have that thing, that day, that person that they that they that they have in in the back of their minds or in the forefront of their minds. And it is why they do the work. It's not work that you can do. Um, well, maybe you can. That's judgmental of me to say, but um for many of us, it's that, that history that drives us. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing too, is like a lot of our experiences and a lot of our training is, you know, it's unfortunate. It's like, you take the tens and 18s, for instance. I mean, those, those lessons are learned in blood, unfortunately, but when it comes down to the human factor, like the things that you were talking about right now, I mean, that's, that's something different. It's also learned it. it it's, it's, it's learned in trauma. It's, it sucks. And like trying to navigate that. I mean, I've got my own experiences of course too. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of folks out there that are a little bit later in the game of fire, they all have their experiences as well. And it's not, this is the unfortunate thing about being in a dangerous profession. It's not a matter of if it's when, because over the course of long enough time, a tragedy will happen. Mark my words, it will. Yep. And the whole yep. idea is to especially with like the things that you're working on. I mean, it's the not make the mistake, same mistakes twice. And I think that's a big thing that we need to keep doing and it's never going to stop. Indeed. And it's, um, there's, there's, a an interaction that took place on the lessons learned centers blog that, that really kind of, um, encapsulates the, 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 the purpose behind our work. Um, uh, uh, a contributor to the blog was, was, was commenting that, you know, it's, it's sad. These are the lessons already learned then repeated. And the lessons learned center moderator came back and responded with just a brilliant piece. And they said, new people need to learn the old lessons for the first time. And that's easier said than done. So to, to a great extent, the meta review goes back to those previous incidents and we seek to learn from them. The 10 years, uh, 2007 to 2016, that's history, right? It's, it's back then 
we have we have uh, current events to learn through. But by looking back, uh, the there's an old saying too that uh, uh, um, history repeats itself. But I prefer the Mark Twain: uh, <laughs> uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. That's a pretty profound a statement to learn. I I love it. It's I love it because so accurate, I though. am not that captain in 2009, right? You are not the same person that went through your event. And, and tomorrow we'll go out and interact in a world that is different in every way from today and yesterday and, and, and the day before. So there it, it, it all comes back to human performance and everything is an exercise in human performance. Absolutely. And now uh, another personal question I have for you is, um, I mean, the, this chain of events back in 2009 with uh, the uh, repel incident, did, I, I'm, I'm just going to make the assumption. I don't know if it's accurate. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is it one of the motivating factors to pursue this path down uh, the lessons learned, the department of learning or the, yeah, all of that stuff, the meta review. I didn't know it at the time. And in, in fact, I often joke with, uh, <laughs> with, with Ivan, especially because uh, he had to teach me to do this. But when people ask me, what, what do you do? Um, uh, my answer is I ask questions. I ask a lot of questions. And at the time, I wasn't asking questions. I was so insecure in, in, in who I was as a firefighter, as a captain, as a human being. Um, that I mean, there's even a time in my career where I stopped doing after action reviews. I didn't want to hear it. Right. I'm not proud of that. Uh, <laughs> and I think I've come a long way since. But uh, over the course of the years, working with Ivan, learning through learning reviews, uh, teaching teaching Tom's accident to, to to people, I realized that how I work through those bad days is through learning. Um, and it's not just the bad days; it's it's learning from the good days, and learning through the bad days. But that emerged over time. I had no idea. I had no idea. Well, I think it's like at a, first it was. Oh, go ahead. I'm, I didn't mean I'm to walk sorry. on you there. Go ahead. No, uh, at first it was just like better training. How do I become a great instructor? Because if I can teach this really well, it means that the other side can learn it really well. And then it evolved and evolved and evolved to the point where um, the the meta review and really Ivan's work was about going from individual learning to organizational learning. And I had no idea what that meant when I, when I joined innovation and organizational learning. So through the meta review, I learned what it is to be a learning organization. I had heard our chiefs um, espouse to being a learning organization, but I, I had no idea what it meant. I had no idea how to make it happen. I, and and so again <laughs> learned my way through that challenge and 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 it was a very much a team effort i can't i can't take all the credit for the meta review for sure um it began long before i got there and it will continue long after i'm gone so it is uh a <laughs> i think it's important i i really do and i don't just say it because it's my project 
No, it's wildly important. I mean, there's like the whole old adage of like, uh, if you really want to understand and learn about a subject, try teaching it. And that's what we're doing. We're teaching and learning every day in this organization. And the day that you stop learning about fire or what it means to be a human or a a leader or any of the little things, all the little nuances that go into wildland fire, it's probably the day you should stop doing this and move on. Well, and it's a terrifying time, quite honest. It um, is. When I hear uh, our, our, our best say things like, I don't have time to read or I don't have time to learn. We're too busy doing wearing six hats. Um, if we aren't learning, it's, it, it's back to trial and error. Which opens up a lot of risk. And especially since we have a lot of people that have a lot of slides and it's no secret. I mean, we've talked about this a thousand times before, but a lot of the agencies, uh, for service included, I mean, across the federal agencies there, a lot of people are, are leaving and we're losing that institutional knowledge. And it sucks because now we can't become that learning organization. It's a two way street. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie. I've learned stuff from rookies. I've learned stuff from 25, 30 year hotshot vets. I've learned something from just about anyone, even the most unassuming thing. And if we're losing those quality mentors, whether it be on like a career mentorship or a knowledge of fires, knowledge or slideshow kind of mentorship uh, context, I mean, it's, it sucks. It's like, where are we heading? So I don't know what's your, what, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, I mean, it's kind of hard to say because no one has a crystal ball, but yep. where are we going? Um, <laughs> I, I like, I, I like the old sayings and there's an old saying, may you live in interesting times. And we certainly live in interesting times. Um, one of the things that a learning organization ensures is that when people leave critical knowledge doesn't leave with them. We got a lot of work to do on that arena mm -hmm. now. And I do want to be clear that, that being a learning organization isn't something that you ever arrive at. It's not like I'm a good person and I will always be a good person. No, you, you move in and out like you, smart people do dumb stuff all the time. Uh, so a learning organization is always trying to figure it out. And as I see good quality people leaving, uh, they're taking a ton of knowledge with them that we haven't captured. And that's scary. That means that the rest of us are going to be learning those old lessons without the benefit of them there to, to guide us through it. And that's, I'm, I'm in an incredibly privileged position. I have a job where I'm paid to learn. I'm paid to think I'm paid to read. Uh, that 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 um, family liaison from Tom's event became my mentor and he's now my boss. So we've been together on this this crazy learning since then. Um, and and I have that benefit of of him and that that experience. I have the benefit of of Ivan's even though he's retired, we still talk often. he's still teaching me how to how to how to how to how to be who I'm trying to be inside of this crazy little group that very few have ever even heard of. 
I don't assume that there's a lot of folks out there that uh, are privy to what the uh, well, the office of, you know, learning uh, innovation and learning office of innovation and learning. Uh, there's not a lot of people out there that even knows this stuff exists. They'd probably, a lot of people probably don't know a lot about the meta review either. So, I mean, yep. to expose this to a wider audience and, uh, get more data, get more feedback and more lessons learned. I think it's going to be a good thing because you can never stop learning. It's just my opinion. The day, like I said, the day I stop learning about something is the day I'm going to quit it. It's uh, it's been an interesting challenge. Uh, I've heard uh, so the meta review uh, was released uh, just before Thanksgiving of last year, and I'm the first to admit bad timing. Um, there were reasons for it. We needed to get it out. It had been in. We'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. So as soon as we got the thumbs up, we acted on it and we got it out there. Um, now. In the meta review, we actually critique email as a form of communication. Everybody is doing their email triage. So I know I, I don't blame anybody for not knowing about the meta review. Um, and I kind of jokingly ask people to check their deleted folder when they say they've never heard of it because it's in there. Yeah. But it got auto filtered with every other forward, every other uh, thing that didn't appear to mean uh, uh, to matter to me, to them. And if, and there's many things, if I had to do over again with the meta review, probably the top one is the name. The, the wildland fire meta review doesn't exactly inspire curiosity. It, it, at least it doesn't for me. And I, and many that I've talked to, um, doesn't either. If you have a data bent, if you like numbers, meta review sounds cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, we've got a lot to learn on how to get this into the hands of people that we need to use it. Um, we spent a boatload of time on creating products that we hope will be useful, but if they never open that email, if they never attend a webinar, they'll never see it. And that is compounded with people tough. being busy, like just doing stuff. But yes, it's another thing too. I mean, I mean, I'm guilty of it. I mean, I mean, a lot of people are guilty of this. I guarantee you, Jalith is even guilty of this. But how many all call, all forest, all agency yep. emails that just like an all call email that goes out that you're just like <sighs> red? Didn't even read it. You just marked it as red. Check it off your list so it's not sitting there yep. in your inbox. But how many times does that happen? For me, it happened all the time, but then again, I exactly. didn't care. Stuff that didn't pertain to yep. me, right? So that the the name is fine. I think it's fine. I mean, but I think it's just uh, the ex- explanation and like kind of putting out the word. I think that is that, and also an understanding. It's like we kind of just jumped right into some personal experiences and like meta review, meta review, meta review. We talked about the topics, the individual like little juicy chunks so far. So let's get down to the brass tacks of it. What is the meta review? So, um, what I like to say is that the meta review started at Twisp, but it's not about Twisp. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, as a safety action plan item for the Twist River Fire Fatalities and Entrapments Learning Review, uh, talk about a, a mouthful of a name, um, it tasked the Forest Service with conducting a meta review. And that was one of the first things I had to learn. It's like, what is a meta review? 
So if a if the Twist River learning review is a singular event, a meta review takes a a bunch of them. So uh, what we did in the meta review is we took 2007 to 2016. Uh, if the event took place on Forest Service jurisdiction or it involved a Forest Service employee, it became part of the review. So something like 273 incidents were were reviewed. Um, I could be off on that number. I apologize if I am. Um, but the idea being is if you if you learn some things from singular events, what can you learn from sequences of events? What are the trends? What are the commonalities? What are the differences? Uh, and it would be really easy to say, and 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 we actually did. It started out as a quantitative analysis, where we just asked how many hit by events do we have, how many motor vehicle accidents do we have, how are our people getting hurt or killed, and we generated a report, and it's uh, it's called the hit by report because it highlighted how often our folks get hit by rocks and trees. And um, that generated it, we generated it, they put it out there, it generated some dialogue, it got people thinking a little bit about the work that we ask our people to do. But it really didn't, I, I, it, it didn't fulfill the hope. And the, the challenge with this is, well, what is the hope? Uh, and um, I think we're still trying to figure that out. but. What happened next was it, it it evolved. It went from the numbers to the stories, the experiences of wildland firefighters. Anybody uh, that is part of the wildland fire system could contribute to this. And so uh, IOL did a series of focus groups uh, that focused on five topic areas. Um, how does uh, our interactions with society at large impact uh, wildland fire safety and risk? Um, how does uh, our knowledge of ecology and fire's role in the ecosystem impact how we engage with it? Uh, and those that series of five focus groups was um, was incredible. The the lived experiences of the people doing the work added the story to the data. And at that point, uh, and this is really when, when myself uh, and, and three others were brought on board, uh, Lakota Burwell, Wendy McCartney, and Craig Conley, we're, we're all brought on board to take this, this data, this, this qualitative um, stories from focus groups and these numbers and do something with it. And uh, Sarah Brown, uh, an, um, an amazing individual, an amazing uh, mentor in this, she, she gave us the most important and most unreasonable leader's intent that I've ever received. Oh, I gotta hear this. She said, yeah, it was great. She said, no matter what you do, don't just write another report that no one ever reads. Nailed it. Nailed it. Because right. the last person, last, the last thing I wanted to hear about an incident, it's, uh, it's, it's not as captivating. I mean, it does, it doesn't provide the, the human com like human complexities sure. right there. Like, uh, yeah, it's, 
you can have all the data in the world and the devil's in the de- details, right? Sure. Makes sense. But if you don't throw that human component into it and you don't provide any context to it, then what's the point? Yep. Um, Ariana Huffington, the founder of Huffington Post believes and and I've adopted this as, as my core belief with, with, with learning too, is that people learn best by combining two things, data and story. Mm -hmm. 100%. We had no idea that that's what we were doing, but that's what we were doing. And now it's all put out there and with so, a better review. Yep. Huh. yep. Data plus story. And the we were able to, well, it's it kind of a funny evolution because no matter how great Sarah's leader's intent was, none of us knew what to do with it. So we started writing a report. And um, <laughs> it, it was actually on a, um, a road trip with my wife. Uh, whoever's driving gets to control the radio, right? And I'm driving and I love audiobooks and she hates them. And uh, <laughs> I put on uh, David Goggins's Can't Hurt Me. Great uh, book. The book is one thing, but the audiobook is, has several cool things in it. So if you haven't listened to it, check it out. But the the ghostwriter reads it and then they do a podcast style interview between Goggins and the and the writer. Each chapter has a challenge. And 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 as I was as we were driving across the country, I'm looking at my wife and she's digging it. She's enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if this is working here. Maybe we need to do an audiobook. Maybe we need to have chapter challenges. And maybe we need to do a podcast style interview at the end of each chapter. We didn't end up doing that at the time, mainly because I have no idea how to do what you do. Uh, but here we are. I'll tell you everything right? I know. Kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um that's that's really what what it the the work became is figuring out what is different. What can we do differently? And, and the way that it's structured, how each chapter is a standalone chapter. If you only have 15 minutes, just go to chapter eight and read that chapter, right? You don't need to start at page one and end at page 73, whatever it is, uh, but find the topic that interests you. So if it's uh, the quest for a thousand hours of overtime money as an incentive to risk, go to that chapter and read it and do the chapter challenge with your crew. If it's is safety first a myth, ask yourself to you is safety first. And if it's not, what does that mean? And if it is, how do you live it? Each chapter has that, that, that kind of thing to it. It's short, it's consumable. It has a chapter challenge that helps you talk about it with your group. And ultimately, um, <laughs> the, the, the best feedback we've gotten is, is with the, the audiobook version. Um, people are incredibly thankful of that. Um, the, Chapter challenges have been used in fire refreshers and in regional leadership team meetings and um, uh, forest leadership team meetings. 
in the interagency community, I've had a couple um, other champions uh, like uh, Eric Franstead with the Risk Management Committee has picked it up and, and had it as a dialogue with the uh, NWCG Risk Management Committee. Um, so I can't say that that everyone's read it, but people have read it. People have picked it up and that's super cool to see. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm on the website right now. I'm like, that's why I keep looking over to my other screen here. And I'm like looking at all the like different ways you have this kind of produced. And there's a lot of different ways to digest this information and it kicks ass. It's actually, there's some really good stuff. I was, I kind of went down a rabbit hole last night. I was digging into it on my cell phone, which is, you know, kind of hard to read, but uh, maybe that's just uh, because I have terrible eyesight in my (laughs) getting terrible eyesight as I age, but yeah, you have a bunch of different ways to digest this. And just like you were saying with uh, the book, with uh, David Goggins' book, it's the same thing with uh, Jocko's books. Like if you listen to it on audio, there's like, there's a little bit more like of a uh, a feel to it, right? Like there's explosions in the background as Leaf uh, or uh, Jocko is reading the chapter, you know? And uh, it adds so much. So when you have all these varieties, you can even follow along. I mean, you could pull up the interactive PDFs or the individual chapter PDFs. You can pull the story of maps and then you can like follow along with the audiobook version of that chapter. And that's pretty awesome because now it's adding more complexity to it. And it's a different way of understanding. It's like people that are tactile learners or audio auditory learners or visual learners. You have everything out there. You can do it all. And there's some good stuff in there. I'm not going to lie. There's some great stuff. (laughs) Sometimes I get down on myself for, I mean, like talking about an audio book as an innovation. Like, is that really an innovation? They've been around forever. Um, And through my learning, I I learned that creativity is doing something new uh, or coming up with something new. But innovation is doing something new, bringing something out there into your organization or your company and and doing it. And we work doing audiobooks. Uh the Eldorado uh Fire Learning Review has an audiobook. I it it's in our future. I trust that we will see more and more audiobooks. Story maps are incredibly engaging and you're seeing them all over the place. Oh yeah. 100%. Uh, and still there are readers. And for you we've got the uh uh, interactive PDF. No, I dig it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of quality topics in there and I, I kind of want to like dive into some of them. I mean, there's, what is it? 14 chapters. Where, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Where is it at? <laughs> yeah. The, the, the final yeah, chapter is pretty short, but, uh, yep. But yeah, there's some really, there's some hard questions that we always talk about on this, uh, like on the, on the line, like this is like mop up talk, but it's presented in like a very scientific form. And it's actually like combining the data, the science and the anecdotal uh, storytelling process all into one. So it's very powerful. Some of it's very uh, moving. It, it, it makes you think, it makes you kind of question like some of your own actions and how to be a better leader or a better firefighter and all that stuff, or even question some of the things with even policy that we pursue. Like let's like chapter 11, for instance, the quest for a thousand hours of overtime is money and an incentive to risk. I 
can't tell you how many times over the course of my career that I've used chasing OT and hazard pay as an excuse to, you know, stay out on the line a little bit longer, do stuff when I was fatigued and it's not the right thing, but shit, man, we're broke. And yeah, we got to survive the winter. I get it. I get it. That's a hard decision to make. It's like, do what's right. We're a high performance organization and we're a learning organization, a high performance learning organization. Yet we have to do some of these hard things and make those hard decisions, especially if it's the agency's bottom line or even your own. And that bottom line could be financial, health, uh, mental health, all, all a litany of things, a, a huge list of stuff. The, the process of learning our way through this was, um, it, it was enlightening. There was, there was so much that I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the quest for a thousand hours overtime is a great example. It's when we've, when that question was first posed to our focus group participants, they really struggled with it. Like you, you kind of don't want to admit that the idea that our people make take on risk for money isn't. Uh, but that's like the basis it, of our it, job. It We're exchanging it. No, it doesn't feel good. But right. even at the end of the day, whether you're chasing OT, our job is inherently dangerous and it kind of goes into that. You're exchanging yeah. and that's risk the goal. for money. It's to understand what are the conditions that are influencing people's decisions and actions. And what I like to say and what I, I hope we do a good job saying in this chapter is that while people live paycheck to paycheck, there is no wonder that they make decisions that, that, that's, that put money in their pockets. It is no wonder. So, and this is part of the challenge is if you live paycheck to paycheck, you get that. Cause you're living that. Oh yeah. But if through either, um, uh, chasing grades, you get getting paid better or shoot. My wife is a great example. She's a money genius. Like she was financially stable much earlier than I was. So for, for those that don't live that anymore, it's really easy to forget. And to a great extent, this chapter is to remind those that no longer live that experience, what it was like to live that way. Especially when they get into like the GS fantastic level. Yep. Yep. And once you remember, it's like, oh yeah, I, I was there too. Every GS fantastic was. So it's, (sighs) it's looking at it from another perspective. And it's acknowledging that as long as that condition exists, as long as people are living paycheck to paycheck, as long as people are thinking about the money instead of the work, we can't be surprised with where we're at. So if you want to change it, as Dan Pink says, and what we present in this chapter is people pay people enough to take the question of money off the table so that they're focused on the work, not the money. And the challenge with our folks is time and time and time and time again, they make great sound risk management decisions. And that's really what we try to highlight in is safety first a myth. 
and we shift the focus from the individual making the risk decision based on their financial conditions to a certain extent, um, the organization, what the organization says and what it's willing to do. We say no tree is worth a life than send people into burning forests. We're we mopping up 500 feet interior. Protection. Yeah. Yep. And then they are. They're doing it. And there's a lot of outside so, pressures too, which this, the safety one, I'm, I'm breezing through it. I didn't get the chance to read this one in particular, but it kind of goes and alludes to the fact that we make uh, decisions based off of outside pressures, even though we know it's kind of like, I'm just going to say it, it's because sometimes it's a bullshit mission, like just like mopping up 500 feet in on a dead fire and you're just looking for something to do. It's like, why is that motivating us to go into a, you know, a patch of fire weakened trees and mop up? for days and days and days on end for a political smoke. Right. And I think, I think for me, one of the greatest experiences with this was recognizing that whether it's a district ranger, forest supervisor, or regional forester, or the chief, um, I will never say that their risk is the same no. as the Sawyer under a tree, but they're walking into governor's offices they're walking into the fields of Congress. They're working in areas that I would never walk into, right? The idea of a public meeting, that ain't me. That's terrifying to me. They walk this, this um, super important uh, different fire line. And them being successful in resisting those political and social pressures so that you're not mopping up 500 feet interior, we need them to be great at their work. I don't need them to be a great Pulaski swinger. I need them to be in that public meeting. I need them to be in that meeting with the governor's office advocating for the Pulaski swingers. Oh, yeah. And then educating the public so people understand what we do and why. We don't have, yeah, fires just don't go out. We say it's out, but in the reality, I mean, the, the, the public messaging and the public education about how wildland fire kind of works, it's extraordinarily lacking. So those folks that are taking that enormous social and political risk and risk being basically crucified in front of the general public or fired, I mean, it's not the same risk as standing under that tree and following a hazard tree by no means, but it's still a risk. It's still a risk. Still a risk. And it's and it's a battlefield that I don't understand. I I I think still it's it's been a bit, but I think I still got a pretty good feel. I know the world's changed. Uh I don't know what it is to be an engine captain anymore. The stuff that engine captains are dealing with today is nothing like I was dealing with them. But we still have a similar language. We still walk the same line. And that, that, that provides a connection. I don't walk the same fire line as the chief does, but through this process, uh, especially the sociopolitical pressures, uh, real and perceived, the telling our story and communication leading to trust. Um, I, I don't envy anybody walking those fire lines. Absolutely not. And, the, and I'm very deliberative in saying that it is, it is just a different fire line. No, 100% it is. But I, I was going to point out something too between a lot of these chapters is a majority of them are all interconnected. Yeah. They all play off of each other and they're like taking uh, 
like I was just looking through the uh, safety first and myth. I mean, yeah, that's also tied into chapter 10. It's tied into chapter 11. It's seven. It's all of them, really. Maybe except for like chapter one and 14, but 14 could be argued again as well, (laughs) because that's like continuing the story, right? Yeah, it, it is all interconnected. Um, and that was that was one of the challenges is how do you tell a cohesive story that is consumable in bite-sized chunks? Uh, and it was a really kind of back and forth between how much do we repeat ourselves because they do connect and how much um, how much we just point to other connections. They they're absolutely interconnected. Um uh, and that was really kind of the fun part about the focus groups is the, the, the a focus group might be there to talk about fiscal incentives, another one to talk about fatalities and injuries, and another one to talk about society, but they're all talking about the same stuff just from a different perspective. Yeah. No, it, it all plays into each other. It's, it's, I, I, it's a fantastic job really, because it's basically explaining the, data-driven methodology behind explaining the culture behind wildland fire, whether it's your GS fantastic or all the way up in the W as an ES position, all the way down to your GS three rookie and how they're all interconnected. It's it's actually really, really good. It's really brilliantly done. So kudos. It's a, it's a lot of, uh, great minds working towards that leader's intent that Sarah laid out. Mm-hmm. And, and I can't, uh, my focus is on, is on the written document, but I can't downplay the, the, the data review, the combing through hundreds of learning reviews and FLAs and rapid lesson sharings, the, the research scientists that put their specialty to play that, that resulted in the, the hip eye report. Um, and, and really the, the, the cultural themes that, that, that we unpack here, all of this, um, I don't know, probably 30, maybe 40 people over the course of the years have contributed to this. Um, it's, and, and it is <laughs> when I was working with Ivan, uh, I had the opportunity, he and I went and met Dr. Edgar Shine and I had no idea who Shine was at the time. Uh, 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 his book is like that thick and I leafed through it. I was a horrible student and I never really dug into it, but uh, swing one of the things he, <laughs> so I was swinging right to Pulaski's. <laughs> yep. But shine is, is a brilliant guy with culture. And one of the things that he, uh, that he taught me was that all too often we just say, well, it's culture and we shrug our shoulders and as if there's nothing we can do about it. But every one of us, uh, Shine, Shine teaches that leadership's response to events shapes culture. So what you do in response to events really matters. But I've, I've, I've expanded that a little bit over the years, recognizing that the, 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 the guy sitting in the back seat, their response to events is going to shape culture on my crew too. It's not just me. Every one of us have a role to play in this. And so if we respond to this as an event, what do you mean safety first is a myth? And then we talk about it, then we're getting somewhere. Well, I even think it's more than that, actually. I mean, I, 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 
looking at uh, over the course of the last four years of doing this podcast and talking with people, there's not a lot of institutional trust with the boots on the ground. There's not. And I'll be the first one to say that. And boldly enough with this meta review, you call yourselves out and hold yourselves accountable as an agency. Bold move. I don't think a lot of people know about this because that's like half the problem of changing that culture that you're talking about is understanding why we've gotten to this state in the first place over the last 10 years or 20 years. It's even longer than that. Because this so is taking a lot of stuff. I can't. Past. Yeah, you're right. It does take a lot of stuff from the past. And, and we kind of scrolled down, but if you check out the website, I can't understate the importance of the message from uh, uh, Jayla Tal Rivera and Cindy West. So it took over a year. The, the meta review was, was done and we sent it off to leadership for approval. And it took over a year to get to release date. And over the course of that year, I, I, I kind of lost hope. I, I, I was at best expecting them to come back and say, you need to delete this, 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 and this. Um, and and a, a, a great one in the um, mental health and suicide call to action chapter, there's a, there's a focus group statement where an individual said that uh, people are committing suicide because they aren't getting the help that they need through OWCP. I mean, that's a compelling statement. And it's not too I far expected, off. Well, that, that, and that's just it, is I expected leadership to say, you can't say that. You got to delete that. But it's in there. Oh, yeah. I didn't say that. That's a- and it took time to get it out. But ultimately, I didn't release it. I was advised, just leak it. Just leak it out there. But no, leadership saying, yes, we are going to share this experience with everybody. That's how you build trust. One of the ways. Now, we still have a long way to go. I'm not saying that we're there. But trust is a product of what? There's a lot of things that dialogue, go into that dialogue, trust. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things that go into uh, trust and what builds trust. There's leadership, there's uh, sacrifice, there's dialogue, there's yeah. asking the hard questions. And I'm just, after reviewing this thing, I'm very surprised that uh, you got basically carte blanche to say all the quiet parts out loud, which is cool. I mean, yeah, it's 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 not as graphic as the quiet parts out loud. Like we kind of talk to talk about on the line per se, and like a human to human interaction or when we're bored out in the middle of the Nevada desert, mopping up some BS fire, but it's, it's written down in a way and it's, it's recorded in a way where it's easily digestible, but also calling out some of the glaring issues that our culture faces and holding yourselves accountable as an agency but also holding the individual part of that agency accountable as well. You have the power to change things. 
Every one of us. Absolutely. Every one of us. If it had been uh, either, either IOL or research or leadership saying, here is the meta review and here's the list of recommendations and this is what we're going to do to to fix this. Yeah, no, it, it, this Never stuff happened. isn't like that. Yeah, it may not have even happened. Right. <laughs> yeah. I will say that this is going to, I, I think that this episode right here, this is going to have to have multiple parts because we're just going over like a, a, overview a, a broad overview but a lot of this stuff is so complex and i would love to see if we can go into some of these individual chapters with some of the uh the subject matter experts that assisted on writing these chapters and what they've identified do you think we can do that and make a couple of parts like i really really want to talk Absolutely. about yeah i really really want to talk about the mental health one the quest for a thousand hours and uh yeah, there's a few of them that I really want to take a deep dive into. So um, I'll I'll say a couple of things. So the the website itself is just the first part. What comes next is really the important piece, and that is the dialogues about these things. So what we're currently doing is every month, uh, third Wednesday of each month, we hold a um, meta review webinar, mm-hmm. and we do a different chapter each month. And those webinars are open to everybody. I have GS, um, I don't know what the lowest level is, the five, sixes, somewhere in there, all the way up to Washington office senior leaders attending these things. I even had a congressional staffer at the last one. Like this is all about coming together and talking about these things. So these are open to everybody. So extend that invite to every one of your audience, including yourself, uh, join those, those webinars. But also, we're more than willing to come and talk about them anywhere. But here's here's one of the things that I'll say is take a look at a chapter, take a look at the challenge, and I hope you'll realize that you don't need me. That you need you and your peers and those that you lead and those that you follow to talk about this stuff. Come up with the ideas and then engage. You guys have the solutions to this, not research and development. You, wherever you're sitting in the organization, those closest to the work often have the best ideas on how to improve that work. That is a foundational philosophy of learning in this organization. But we got to live that. And not the truth. But it's hard. I, I get it. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> the time alone that's required to, you know, dedicate something like this, it sucks because a lot of us are still seasonals. And I mean, during the winter, I, the last thing we want to do is do something like this. Cause we're not, well, one, we're not getting paid for it. And two, you probably just want to chill and not like really, even if you're still on duty, you just want to like go do your pile burning and then just like relax. Just like in the thousand hours, the quest for a thousand hour overtime season. Time for reflection is a foundational building block of, of, of learning and a learning organization. Time for reflection is finite. And even if we could seal back a few scraps of time, how will you use that time? And if you use that time to just take a breath, awesome. 
necessary first thing. Recover, breathe, and then use that time to do the other stuff that's on your plate a little bit better and a little bit quicker. Great. You need to do that. And I know that learning's down the way a little bit. But if we are going to live as a learning organization, that's our task. Create the time for learning, for engagement, for dialogue. And hopefully, and this is the tricky part, through that engagement, your life will get better. It is worth it. Oh, 100%. I do have a, a question for you, though, uh, regarding the people that want to get involved with the meta review and do these webinars and stuff. So there's an obvious fear factor. There's a fear factor of reprisal. There's a fear factor of being judged by your peers. There's a, a huge list of this stuff, right? So as far as saying like some of the quiet parts out loud, and I mean, you probably have heard it all during this whole like development process, right? You probably seen, heard some pretty terrifying stuff. Well, I, I know that that distrust with the institution is alive and well, especially in the fear of reprisal thing. So how do we, what do you have to say to the folks that are listening to this that would like to get involved and tell those hard stories, either privately or publicly, how do we ensure their protection? Cause that's going to be a big, big barrier to people being involved, wanting to be involved. And it's a great question. Um, so there's a couple different ways to approach this. So one of the things that we do in in focus groups is uh, in order to participate in a in a in a live interpersonal focus group, uh, you do extend your trust to the people in the room. Uh, names uh, in in the review, you'll see that that quotes are never attributed by name, by position only, so that you get the perspective. IOL makes that commitment to protect your thoughts. And that's in a focus group. So that's a way that we do it. If that is still a bridge too far, and I get it, it is for many. It was for me in a lot of ways. Um, One-on-one interviews are absolutely uh, available. Um, Attend a meta review uh, webinar and lurk. The breakout rooms are not recorded. We record the intro piece, but not the breakout rooms. So yeah, you got to trust the people that are in the breakout room and you'll have to do your own internal risk assessment. You'll look at the names and see, uh, uh, okay, that person's here. I can't trust. But probably the the greatest thing I would say, and and I I steal this from Brene Brown, she says that... uh, Uh, vulnerability without boundaries is not vulnerability. So know what your vulnerability boundaries are. And if you're in a room where you can't cross that boundary, even if it's your honest truth, then find another way to speak that honest truth. If it's one-on-one with me, Great. If it's one-on-one with one of the other IOL uh, employees, fantastic. But if it's with Brandon on, on on the podcast or somewhere else, whatever it takes, find a way to share that. With the focus groups, I say that everyone in 
the wildland fire system is one invitation away from participation. But you do have to conduct your own um, kind of social and psychological safety risk assessment. And if you're not safe, don't, don't, but find a way to get safe and do. Yeah. And, you know, bring it back to like <clears throat> the same conversation, same topic. It's even with third parties. I mean, I know a lot of folks and it's not just my podcast. It's, there's a lot of folks out there that have been on different third party podcasts outside of the agency. And the thing that sucks is like, I have to have this disclaimer in this talk with folks that uh, don't have permission. They're kind of begging for forgiveness to tell their story, to speak their truths. And it's like, I can't protect you. So you have to, like you said, find a way to, to say the quiet parts out loud without getting your uh, ass in a crack, so to speak. So, I mean, so it's um, hard. I said a little earlier that I was advised to just leak the meta review. And I, I say advice, but it was really a friend just to just send it out, just send it out. What are they going to do to you? Just send it out. But it was so important to me for trust, for leadership to say, yes, we are going to share this with everyone, not just with the organization, but with our interagency partners in the public. It's a public thing too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wide open. Yep. And I've had several people ask, well, isn't this sharing your dirty laundry? And my answer is, yeah, you got to pull dirty laundry out of the closet to deal with it. It makes us human. Right. It's human. Yeah. And that's the beauty of these topics. And also the real challenge is these are human, never ending. Uh, they, they transcend time. Like how long have we as a culture been dealing with suicide? Forever. It wasn't that long ago. We didn't even bury them in the same cemetery as everybody else. But now maybe we're approaching it differently. And man, talk about standing on shoulders of giants. 20 years of war has forced this country to address the impacts in suicide. And we're learning a ton from them. I, I wish we, of course, didn't have that resource to learn from, but we do. And I'd like to think that the conversation, well, I know the conversation today is very different than 10 years ago. And 10 years from now, the conversation is going to be even further along. Oh, yeah. 100%. Will we have the nut cracked? I, I, I hope so. But it's human. Will we ever figure out this human thing? I don't know. Well, the day we do is probably this time we should stop uh, trying. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we don't fight, figure out the human experience and what the meaning of life is. Because, you know, I, I, if I knew everything, I wouldn't want to be a part of it. Sorry. It sounds kind of cold and, you know, don't mean to tie it into the suicide thing, but like, what's the point of life if you know everything about it? Right. It's, it, it, it the foundation beyond all of this in, and, and kind of putting the punchline or the, 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 the secret out to your audience is uh, people often ask, where are the recommendations? What do we just need to do? Well, the whole thing is a recommendation. And the recommendation is talk about it. Talk about his safety first of myth. Talk about social political pressures. Talk about, and this is the tricky one, because a lot of us aren't ready 
to talk about the heavy mental health and suicide topics that are necessary. So we got to do the work to get ready. That that chapter in particular, really, but all of them, I mean, just by skillfully, we can address this, but but without that skill, we can cause harm. So don't go into these dialogues flippantly. Do your homework. Have a plan. But silence doesn't serve us. No. It's kind of how we got here. And like you're saying, man, I mean, some of these chapters are heavy and a lot of them come with trigger warnings as well, which is needed. I mean, we need to have those things. I mean, we're going to be talking about some heavy stuff in here and we're going to be reading and learning about these heavy topics. But some of it's one of my favorite authors, uh, Neil Gaiman, uh, has something really cool to say about trigger warnings. Um, He hates them. And. I understand their necessity and so does he, but his position is that stories should move us. Yes. It's in the movement that, that we work our way through it. He's not so wrong. yes, trigger warning, but it should move us. It has to move us. Yeah. Tying uh, the emotional and the the human component into all this stuff of why we operate the way we do, how we operate as a culture. I mean, it's it's all pretty much laid out there. I mean, it's a little bit, I mean, it's condensed. Don't get me wrong. It's an abridged version of the human condition, but for the most part, it's all on there. And I'm actually rather impressed. And I want to say thank you to you and everybody involved with creating this because it needs to be talked about. It does. So I've been grinding this week on Meta Review 2.0, the next one. And if we're still talking about the same stuff, okay, it just means we have more work to do. But I trust we will be talking about different stuff as well. Uh, so uh, dig into this one. I have the dialogues. Uh, <laughs> prove me wrong. Make the next Meta Review about something completely different. I'd be I'd be thoroughly pleased about that. Uh, but that's another unreasonable expectation. It just takes time. <laughs> Bring it back to just the beginning of this <laughs> time we don't have. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind, you know, I throw a suggestion out there. I would like to see a little bit more expansion on like substances and like self-medication, drinking, all that stuff. It's kind of brushed upon, but do a whole chapter on that. That'd be an interesting. Do a whole chapter on that. Yeah. Yep. Then, uh, well, I mean, we're going to get rolling to the end of the episode where I am running out of time, but I would love to have you back on the show. Maybe we can do some live or something Absolutely. like that. And then we can go into these, some of these individual uh, chapters, you know, as third party, not as like the webinar. Um, I think that'd be cool. I think if we expanded on some of these with some of the folks involved, yep. if they're willing, uh, I would love to have that and kind of go down that path. Absolutely. Uh, it's uh there are, and it's it's a sign of increasing trust. Uh, the more and more people I talk to, the more willing they are. I'd like to think it's a sign of increasing trust. It might be something else, so I'll say that. But the more people I talk to, the more willing they are to have their names attached to their positions. And I don't mean position like job. I mean what they think. Mm-hmm. So um, we in in on the website, you'll see a couple. Uh, 
focus group participants that were willing to be interviewed and they share their names in there. Uh, Tom Taylor, uh, Persephone Whalen, Ken Watkins, Kim Lightley, uh, Jason Kaiken, and Ted Adams. Uh, so you can hear a little bit from those people in their words in those interviews. Uh, and that's, that's on the website, but, uh, I'd be more than willing to reach out to some of our focus group participants, uh, see if they'd be willing to do this. Um, and we'll see where we go. Love it, man. And, uh, yeah, I can't really, I, I really can't wait to see what's next. This is going to be cool. And, uh, this is all stuff that's, you know, part of our culture and it needs to be addressed. And if, uh, we don't talk about it and we don't understand it, then how the hell are we going to change it? So just want to say once again, thank sure. you for, to you and everybody involved in putting this together and we'll get some more information on it as well. But, uh, as far as my, my pleasure to represent that group, a lot of great people have been involved in this. Hell yeah. And then as far as uh, where to find all this stuff, I mean, where do we go? So uh, the Meta Review uh, has a forward-facing website. You don't need to have, uh, you don't need to be a Forest Service employee. So I think we can share that link in the show notes. Um, I'd also like to share a link to a follow-on project to this called the Wildland Fire Histom Map. I think your audience would dig that. We could talk about that next time too, maybe. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, the website's the best, but, uh, what I would really suggest is sign up for the mailing list. Uh, and it's in the meta review, uh, 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 final, um, chapter challenge. You'll, you'll see the link there and I shoot, I'll, I'll get that link for you in the show notes as well. Um, but sign up for the mailing list. You don't have to be a force service employee and you'll get, uh, uh, and I don't spam you. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't sell your email address, but, uh, sign up for that mailing address and, uh, you'll hear about all things meta review. Perfect. Including, I hope, uh, never thought I'd say this, but meta review too. <laughs> the 2.0 it's on the horizon. Sweet. Yep. Well, cool, man. My well, boss is probably going to kill me for saying that in public, but, um, too late now <laughs> it's, <true. laughs> it's out there. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, as far as uh, as far as you, I mean, do you want to throw any of your information out in the show notes, too? I mean, you don't have to say it out loud. I mean, yeah, do, do not give out your phone number. Yeah. The last person that did that just had to change their phone number. So but uh, yeah, how do we get a hold of you? Yep, uh, I could definitely uh, put my uh, email address in the show notes. Uh, and again, I'm in a privileged position where talking to people about this stuff is my work. So, um, never hesitate, reach out. We'll, we'll arrange a time and we'll chat. Perfect. And then last but not least, before we take off, I always give the opportunity for our guest. Uh, really you're the host actually. I'm just a facilitator asking dumb questions. Let's be honest here, but I always give the opportunity for, uh, you to give a shout out to some homies, heroes, mentors. What do you got for us? Oh man. Uh, I've mentioned several of them. Um, there it's a long list uh so uh jim savel and ivan Pupliti were formative in this uh jim gum my current boss now uh was there with tom's family too and uh at the time uh i didn't know jim he was a a, a public affairs officer and you can imagine how um that looked to me at the time but jim knows what it's like to lose a son 
he was the right person to be with Tom's family. And he's taught me so much about uh, <laughs> everything, this work, being a human. Um, Bob Bell is by far, um, I, I owe him so much. Uh, Chris Orr, um, the, it's a long list. It's, it's a, it's a long list. The, the IOL crew in general, um, it's a unique collection of, of people that want to do, um, some really brain bending, but important work. Um, and so in the future, uh, keep your eye open for, uh, details to the group. We're getting bigger. Um, we do, we call them our, uh, catch and release program where people come in, spend 120 days with us. We suck their brains dry and then send them back out into the wild. Um, so, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we've inspired some interest in that because we'd love to share what we do with people. Sounds like one hell of a winter job too. Winter work, man. Uh, that's right. Yep. <laughs> well, cool. Well, Ben, I just want to say thank you once again for being on the show and kind of sharing the general overview of what the meta review is going to be and what it is and where it's going in the future. And then honestly, I, I really do think that these stories and this information has the power to change what the perceptions and also how we go about things in the future, as far as culture, as far as operations, as far as all that stuff to making us human and wildland firefighting humans at that. So just want to say thank you, man. This is awesome. And we'll get you back on the show. My pleasure. Glad to, glad to do it. Right on, dude. Everybody, I hope you uh, check out the, uh, the meta review. Uh, I just Google searched it. It's easy. Forest Service or USDA uh, meta review. It'll pull up the first link. It's actually right there. So SEO is good. You don't have to search for it or dig, but uh, check it out. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, put some uh, things in the show notes so we can get a hold of Ben here. And uh, if you want to be involved that with the next iteration, or if you want to do some uh, discussions, we'll get you uh, linked up to the proper people. So even if you think we're crazy, we're open to hearing that too. You guys are nuts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh man we're in good company yes we're all a little couple screws loose at least so well ben thank you so much appreciate it man we'll get you on the next time thank you sounds great thank you yeah and boom there we go ladies and gentlemen another episode of the anchor point podcast is in the books with our good friend ben iverson ben thank you so much for being on the show and thank you for taking on this monumental uh project and you're basically throwing a lot of experience that you've had, especially with the past events that you've witnessed into this meta review process. And I deeply appreciate that. It's only going to make our culture a little bit more aware of like the societal norms, the reasons why we do certain things, leadership blocks. I mean, the list goes on, man. It's it's crazy. And uh, yeah, I, I really honestly hope that this overall look from the top level down and then back up with the meta review improves some of our safety in the field and gives us a good deep insight of why wildland firefighters do the things they do, why these cultural norms are so just ingrained within our society, and it's only going to make us safer in the long run. So. Yeah, this whole thing is a big deep dive into wildfire culture. And if you want to get involved, definitely hit up Ben. I'll put some uh, some contact information in the show notes. And uh, yeah, get involved because the only way we're going to learn about ourselves is, well, learning about ourselves. So 
Pretty cool. Yeah. This uh, whole meta review, uh, it's on the Forest Service website. And you all have to do is, you know, type in a Google search for meta review and it'll pull it up. Uh, the first three chapters takes a look back over some major events. Uh, the chapters four through 11, it's going to be the highlight of the big eight, using air quotes here. And that's going to be the big, eight biggest challenges within the wildfire system, the wildland fire system. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's one I've found particularly fascinating in there was uh, the safety first culture uh, being a total myth. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Anyways, what I'm saying is this is a pretty cool thought experiment and you might learn something out of it. So Ben, once again, thank you for being on the show. Appreciate it, man. Uh, as for the rest of you, well, I hope everybody's doing well and I hope that it's, uh, something picks up because probably people are going a little bit stir crazy, but we'll see what the future has in store for all of us. I know that Canada's ripping off like it has been, but Hey, you know, at the lower 48, eventually we'll pop off. So keep it together out there and don't get complacent. Special shout out to our sponsors. We've got Mystery Ranch, purveyors of the finest damn packs in the Wildland Fire game, plus more. If you want to find out more about the Mystery Ranch Backbone series, go over to www.mysteryranch.com and check it out. We've got Hotshot Brewery, kick-ass coffee for a kick-ass cause. A portion of the proceeds will always go back to the Wildland Firefighter Foundation. Go over to www.hotshotbrewing.com to find out more. We've got the Ass Man. Mr. Booze himself with the ass movement. Go over to www.thefirewild.com and check out the ass movement for all your poop airing propaganda. And last but not least, we've got the Smoky Generation, AKA Wildfire Experience. Bethany, you have a kick-ass organization over there. Keep it up. Y'all know the drill. Stay safe, stay savage, peace.